Amen. A bunch of men are standing in the changing room of the golf club and the mobile phone rings and one of the guys picks it up and he puts it on speaker and he says hello and a, a female voice on the other end says, hello darling, I just uh, are you at the golf club? And he says yes and she says, I'll tell you what it is, I've just been at the shopping centre and I've seen a beautiful leather jacket that I like. It's £550, do you mind if I buy it? And the man says, well... I mean, that's a lot of money, but if you really like it and if it really suits you, go ahead and buy it. And his friends are all like, wow. And she says, and while I was driving to the shopping center, I passed the Range Rover dealership and I saw the new 2021 Range Rover Velar model. Uh, and uh, I've been looking one for a while. And he says, how much is it? And she says, it's only £68,000. He says, that's a lot of money. He said, do you really like it? She says, I love it. He says, I'll tell you what, why don't you, as long as you get the, all the extras, the leather seats and all of that, you know, uh, go ahead and buy it. And she says, and just one more thing, after I passed the Range Rover dealership, you know that house we've been looking for a long time? Uh, it's on the market again. It's on the market. And he says, how much is it? She says, £850,000. And he goes, that's a lot of money. Why don't you offer them 825? They'll probably accept it, but if not, sure, just go up the other 25 grand, sure. You know, and she says, darling, I love you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And sits down the phone and his friends are just looking at him with open mouths going, what? And he just holds up the phone and goes, does anyone know who this belongs to? <laughs> Money. Money can cause all sorts of problems. There's few things cause more stress, more anxiety, more sleepless nights, and more arguments sometimes than money. I always say, well, there's a will there's a family. And uh, I have officiated many funerals over the years, and this did not happen here, but I've officiated two funerals in my life where the police have had to be called. Once before the funeral and once after, and it was about money. And I'm so aware that as we begin to talk about money today, some of you immediately will go, usual, church always looking money. Always asking for money. That's what I heard a bit when I was a child. I've got to be honest. The church is always looking for money. Always begging for money. Always looking money at the church. Can I first of all say to you that I haven't done a talk on money in probably two or two and a half years, okay? So this is not something we preach about often. But, uh, you know, just that mentality, if you're always looking money, the church is always looking money. It just got me thinking about just the the story of two guys who were shipwrecked and stranded on a, a desert island, and one of them is panicking. He's pacing up and down. He's in a total fluster. And the other one's just lying back sunbathing and the one in the fluster says to him, are you not like really worried that we're not going to be rescued, that we're going to end up stranded here and die? And the other guy goes, no, I'm not worried. I earn £50,000 a week and I tithe faithfully to my local church. My pastor will find me one way or the other. So you just chill out. We will be fine. But sometimes there is this mentality that the church is always looking something. The church is always begging for money. And I understand there's that mentality. So let me start just by making a few things clear this morning. My first thing I want to say is this. God doesn't need your money and we don't need your money. And now the trustees and the management team are probably having a little bit of a heart seizure right now. Um, But but, uh, I want to say that up front, that God doesn't need your money and we don't need your money. I personally don't I was going to say, I don't want your money, but that would be a stretch, okay? Um, But you know what? I get paid 
And I was once in a sales job that kind of the more you sold, the more commission you got. That isn't the way this works, okay? It's not like the more if you're here, you know, like I get 5% off the take-ins or anything like that. I am on a salary, a stipend that is set by the Church of Ireland and approved by the trustees. And whether you give or not does not affect what I get one way or the other. So I personally uh, am happy with my four shillings that I get every week. It's probably also worth saying, because there have been some incidents in other churches not a million miles from, from here, that there have been some indiscretions recently with money. I don't have access to the accounts. I don't see the statements. I don't have bank cards. I don't have any of that. There is a team of people who look after that. We uphold the highest standards. So if you see me disappear into Hawaii, it is not because I have been raiding the bank accounts here, okay? So uh, we have very, very high standards of um, stewardship in this church. Let me also say this. I will never, as far as I can, never use guilt or manipulation to get you to give. I have been around places that do that, and that is not honoring to the way of Christ. Jesus talked about money a lot. But he never used guilt or manipulation to get people to give. Nor will I give you a sob story or use pity. I will not put up photographs of starving children on the screen and ask you to give out of an emotional response. Again, that is not the way of the kingdom. Nor will I use gimmicks to raise money. Now, I know that there's a lot of churches do fates and fairs and car washes and back sales. And all of that's fine. If it's to get people involved and to have a bit of fun, but if that is the only way that you can keep the doors of the church open, there's a deeper problem than just not having enough buns for the cake sale, okay? Like, I remember going to one as a kid where they had the minister and they did his head through a thing and the kids were throwing sponges at him. Like, that is not going to happen here, okay? Some of you, okay... Okay, let's go with the gimmicks. 50 pounds next Sunday, you can get 15 spun. No, I just, that is not the way. When a church learns a biblical standard of giving and the biblical way of generosity, you do that stuff because it's fun and because the kids get involved and because it is not the way to keep the doors open and the lights on. So let me say to you, we do not need your money. Because of your constant and faithful generosity here in this church, we more than cover our bills every month. In fact, because of your constant and faithful generosity, we are in a healthy place. I want to tell you that. And because of the way we steward and give. So we do not need your money. This is not about some great need that we have right now. What we are asking you to do in this next week with the gift day is to consider a one-off offering on top of your regular giving to give towards the future of hope, to give towards a building fund, to give towards mission, uh, both here and overseas, and to invest in the future. That is what we are asking. And the goal is not just a bigger building. We know we need a bigger building. We know we need a bigger building. But it's not just that we would have a bigger building to meet like this on a Sunday, as wonderful as this is. We need a bigger building because we want to impact the community more. And my dream, and I've outlined it before, is that there would be a place in hope. The verse God has always given me is, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, so let your light shine. And I believe God wants us to have a prominent place in the heart of this community, a place called the Hope Centre, which is open seven days a week, where people in need can come and find hope 
Or if a woman with two kids is thrown out of her house or her husband comes home and drunk and beats her on a Saturday night at nine o'clock, she has somewhere she can go. That people who have struggled with addiction can come and get counselling and find freedom. That men and women who are unemployed and have been unemployed can come and learn skills and be motivated to apply for jobs. That single parents can come and find community and family. That people who are hungry can come and find a food bank and get groceries. And that it would be a centre for mission and equipping and above all to lead people to Jesus Christ. Because we are not social services. I have said from day one that everything we do as a church has one goal. And that is to point people to Jesus. It will take many forms and expressions. But ultimately our primary purpose is spiritual. And we want people to encounter the living, risen Jesus. So that is why we are asking you to give. Not just for a building. I don't really care about buildings that much, I'll be honest with you. But I do believe that the heart of God for this church and the favour of God on this church is to reach a lot more people than we're reaching right now. Not just on a Sunday. And we cannot do that in this place as it is. And so that is what we are asking you to give to next week. So it is not about some immediate need we have right now. We are asking you to invest. And while I, we, we love that there's a lot of retail in this area, and we, we, we are so thankful for how God has blessed businesses in this area, it doesn't take you to be a prophet or a genius to know that retail has changed dramatically over the last 18 months. And there will be a building become free in the next wee while. I know there is. There will be somewhere that will become available. And we want to be positioned to move quickly on that. We don't want to have to, you know, spend three months or six months trying to raise funds for a deposit for that. We want to have it there that we can move quickly and get into a new place and space as quickly as possible. So that is why we are asking you to give next week as a one-off offering over and above your regular giving. So we don't need your money, and God doesn't need your money. God is pretty financially secure right now. There is no credit crunch in heaven. He's not saying to Peter, would you chop up the golden streets and go down to cash for gold and see what you can get? He's not going, will you take the pearly gates and stick them in gum tree? That is not, God is fine. God doesn't need your money either. So we don't need your money and God doesn't need your money. But here's what I am interested in. And here's what I really believe God is most interested in. That you would become a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. That you would become a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. And that will affect your finances. That will affect every area of your life. But you cannot say that Jesus is Lord of your heart if he is not Lord of your money. Jesus said that himself. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. If Jesus does not impact your bank account, if Jesus does not impact your spending, there is something deficient with your Christian life. And you will never know and experience the fullness and fulfillment of joy that Jesus promised to those who follow him. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Generosity and giving is part of experiencing the fullness of all that Jesus wants to give you. 
A Christian faith that doesn't impact how you spend money is not a biblical faith. And so I'm going to keep this incredibly simple today. I want to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians 9. We looked at 2 Corinthians last week, and I I want to just stay in that book. But I just simply want to bring a few principles about giving, and uh, and, and then we'll, we'll worship God and we'll be done. Let me read verses 1 to 2, 2 Corinthians 9. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth here. He says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. Let me tell you a little bit about the context here. The Christians in Jerusalem have been undergoing severe persecution and many of them have been put out of their business, out of their homes, and so they're suffering extreme poverty. And so Paul has written to some of the more wealthy churches and and asked them would they consider sending an offering to the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Corinth... Corinth was a wealthy place, had a two ports. It was a a very affluent place. They have agreed to give. That's why Paul says there's no need for me to write. In other words, I don't need to conjole. I don't need to manipulate. I don't need to beg. I don't need to plead. He says, I know your eagerness to help. I know that you want to contribute. And I could say the same to you and hope. I know your generosity. I know that I don't have to get up here and beg and plead and manipulate and control and thank the Lord for that because I don't think I could do it. I know your generosity but I also know this that in any room like this there are people who struggle with giving. There are people who struggle with the whole idea of trusting God with our finances. And I want to say a few things. The first reason for this is generally this, that you don't think you have enough to give. You think giving is for the super rich or the super spiritual and you don't count yourself in either category. Perhaps you think, well, one day I'll give when the kids are grown up, when we pay off the house, when we pay off the car, when the kids leave home, and when I get a job promotion, when I win the lottery, whatever that is, one day I will give, but right now I can't afford it. And the reality is this, that... If you don't give when you have little, you will not give when you have more. But it took me a long time to discover that. See, for many years in my Christian life, this was the biggest struggle. In every other area of my life, I was pretty much fully devoted to God. I've been a Christian 31 years. And for the first 17 of those 31 years, 18 of those, I struggled with giving. I struggled with this whole attitude of trusting God with my money. I'm going to be really vulnerable with you here about this because I, this week I was looking through old sermons and I came across a message that I preached in 2007 in Shankill Parish in Lurgan. The, the minister, the senior pastor, had asked me to speak on tithing from Malachi chapter 3. And I, I preached a good message on tithing. It was a biblical message. It was good. Do you know what the only problem was? that I hardly gave. That I was preaching to people about giving and yet my giving was sporadic and it wasn't sacrificial and it wasn't regular. And that I stood up there in front of a congregation I'd been ordained for a year or two at this stage and I exhorted them to give generously and yet I did not have that generosity in my heart. I struggled to trust God with my money. 
I struggled because I was living in debt constantly. And I was spending more. And I thought, well, once I get out of debt, once I clear my credit card debt, once I have more, once I... And I constantly had reasons or excuses not to give. But here's what I also found at the time. I didn't have reasons or excuses not to go on three holidays a year or to buy expensive jeans or to go out for dinner two, three nights a week. But I always could find a really good rationale not to give. Somebody else will give. Sure, there's plenty of money. The church is plenty. Sure, they get it from some central fund somewhere. Sure, I just always had a reason not to give. And here's what I've discovered. That if you don't want to do something, you will always be able to find a reason not to do it. Sometimes you'll even find a really good Bible verse to back it up. That in any part of your life, if you want to live a certain way, you will be able to justify it and rationalize it. And that's what I did. I would think about it. I would feel convicted about it at times. But I would, you know what, you know what really was the truth? And again, I'm just I'm being really honest here. I would look at my paycheck every month and let's say it was £2,000, okay? And then I would think, well, a tithe was £200. And I would immediately think of what I could buy with that £200. Some of you are judging me right now. <laughs> That's okay. And some of you are like, I'm totally like that. That was my heart. That was my attitude. I'm not saying I never gave to anything. But I didn't have generosity as a core of my Christian experience. And what happened was, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was a gift day or something like we're having. And the the rector, the, the senior pastor, was going through just the giving records, and they were dividing it up into areas, and he noticed how little I had given. And so he called me aside, and that was a really awkward conversation. And he was really nice and gentle with it, and he says, Craig, I know you probably give to lots of other things. And I'm like, yeah, I do. You, you know, I, I feed all the homeless people in Lurgan, and all, you know. And, uh, I, but, but he was trying to be, he was trying to, and he said, Craig, but I have noticed, I have looked at your giving over the last few years, and Quite honestly, you're not giving regularly or generously. And I felt convicted and I was embarrassed, but it was the best thing ever happened to me. And from that day forward, I made a decision that I was going to honor God with my finances. And it started off as a duty. It started off feeling like an obligation. But here's what happens, and anyone who has, give, who has been giving for a while knows this, that as you begin to give, that duty becomes a delight that it actually goes from something you have to do to something you want to do. And not only do you start giving the bare minimum, but you start to look for other ways to give because there's something gets released in your heart and you start to experience a joy of generosity and you start to look for opportunities to bless people in coffee shops. It just just so happened yesterday that we were over in Scarva, Scarva Mary Berry's, that's not what it's called, but it's something like that. She's the wee woman off TV, isn't she? Um, we were over there for the first time. We were have, going to have lunch, and there was a big queue. And uh, we were in the queue, and there was Becky and Elijah and Henry, the dog. And, uh, and uh, there was a big queue behind us. But there were two guys behind us who had big backpacks. And we sort of no, overheard them, their English accents, and... And I just they started commenting on Henry while we were waiting, and I looked around. We got talking to them, and 
I noticed that they had shofars. Now, a shofar, for those of you who are unaware, is a Hebrew trumpet. It's like a ram's trumpet. And, so, I, I, and I noticed one of the men had a cross on his T-shirt. And I got to that moment, and they might be watching, and, and I got to that moment where I was like, do I tell them I'm a Christian? Because I know where this is going to lead. Um, or do I tell them I'm a pastor? And sometimes, particularly on a Saturday at lunchtime when you're with your you just, you, you know, it's a bit like holidays. You just want a quiet life. You know, sometimes I, I tell people I do all sorts of things on holidays. Just because but as soon as you tell them you're a minister, you either they run away or they, you get into some theologic and you just, and so, but anyway, I, I, I let it slip. And uh, we got talking to them and, and they were, they were lovely guys that were from Bristol. They were traveling around Ireland, north and south, and they were just prayer walking and, Literally, they were camping and just living by faith as they went along. And, and, uh, and, and so we were in front of them, and so we were called to our table. And we got to the table, and I looked at Becky, and I went, I think we have to ask those guys to come for lunch with us. And my beautiful, gracious wife said, yeah, I think we do as well. And so I went back over to them, and I said, do you want to come and sit at our table? And they said, oh, and I said, no, no, come on, we've plenty of room. And I said, what are you having? And they said, oh, we're just having a cup of tea. And I realized in that moment that, that that was all that they could probably afford, that they were traveling on a very, very small budget. And, uh, and, and because I said, where are you traveling? And they were walking from Scarva to Newry next, and they were getting their energy from a cup of tea. And so I said to them, look, guys, my treat, just order anything in the menu. And I mean, when I say anything, I mean, stick to the top half. Or, you know, like, like stick, you know, that, 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 yeah, anything with it. But no, I said, and they just, they let, and they, could, they couldn't believe it. And, and, and we, we had the joy of spending an hour with two total strangers uh, making conversation. <laughs> and they were lovely. And can I be honest, I just, I find that exhausting. They were two lovely guys, and it was lovely to hear their story, but it wasn't the most, it wasn't the most relaxing lunch. Um, but you know what it was? It was a blessing. And, and, and it was so simple. Like, I mean, it, I, I, I don't tell you that because I know people, you all do things like that, or most of you do. But it was, it, it was a few pounds. Like, it was probably cost me an extra tenner. But for them who are over here believing that they're prayer walking and praying around the country, that God would put them in a line behind a pastor who would take them for lunch and pay for it and then pray for them. Can you imagine the encouragement that was? as they go on their way to the next place. That that was divinely ordained. It was that moment. But you know what? In that moment, my preference was just to have lunch with us. And by the time I got home, it was also just to have lunch with us. But in the moment, you know what? Sometimes obedience isn't comfortable. Sometimes obedience is inconvenient. It was funny because at the end of it, we walked down the barn one way and they were walking the other way to Newry. And then I was like, all we could hear were the shofars blowing. They were standing in the middle of Scarva blowing shofars. And we're like, oh Lord, just, you know, there's this thing that people who are like, like quite spiritually intense think that because I'm a pastor that I'm super spiritually intense and I'm not. Um, like I love God and you know all that, but I just, I find that intensity quite difficult at times. But so, but, but, you know, so we were just like, I mean, Becky once had a shofar. Let me just say that. You did have a shofar. You had a shofar on a prayer shawl and a little hat and you used to put, there was cracks in the wall and you used to put a bits of paper in your prayers and like the wheel and <laughs> 
But, you know, I, just, I guess what I'm just trying to say is this, that every day there's opportunities for generosity. This is not just about you giving on a Sunday here. If that's all it is, that is not an attitude of generosity. It is every day living with this attitude of, who can I bless? Where can I give? Who can I, who can I leave better than I found them? That's what the heart of generosity is. But I struggled with that for so, so long. And part of it, honestly, maybe like some of you, I, I didn't have a rich upbringing. Now, let me say, my, my parents worked so hard. My mum worked, my dad worked. My dad worked a full-time job from nine to five and metal box king packaging for 25 years, some of you know. And then three nights a week, he would come home at five and half six. He would go out and work to 1 a.m. and another job. My parents worked so hard, but to provide for us and we never lacked for anything and don't feel sorry for them now because they're right now this morning they're lying in a beautiful hotel in Spain okay so don't feel remotely <laughs> sorry for them they're probably watching this by the pool um, but you know we we weren't a wealthy family growing up we weren't we we got by like many of you we got by and uh, and, and you always kind of knew when it was getting to the end of the month because you would go from chicken bread, you know, you'd go from like a cooked chicken to crispy pancakes and vegetable roll. Yeah, the vegetable roll, and it would start to get thinner. Like, I, my wife didn't know what vegetable roll was until quite recently. Vegetable roll, crispy pan, I mean, crispy pan, there's nothing pancakey about them. Like, they're just, it's like, it's like a little bit of chicken soup and s- something probably vegan chicken in it or, or something like that. Um, and you would start to know you were getting towards the end of the month. And that was the, the, the mentality. And, you know, and, and we always cleaned our plate. You had to clean your plate. Even if you were stuffed, you had to clean your plate. And if you didn't, you know what you got told? The starving children in Africa. <laughs> Anybody hear that? Starving children in Ethiopia. Feed the world. Let them know it's Christmas time. I'm like, I'll get you an envelope. Why don't you send that? Scotch egg, over to them. Scotch eggs, another one. Scotch eggs. <laughs> Next Sunday at the barbecue, we're going to have scotch eggs. Saddled. But, that, you know, it was just, and so I developed, we always had enough, but I developed a mentality of just enough. I developed a mentality of, if I give, I won't have enough, because I just have enough. I just have enough. I just have enough. And that was my mentality. Subconsciously, I needed to hold on to what I had. And every now and again over the years, I felt it creeping back, but the way I break it is by giving. And so if you find yourself in that camp today where you struggle to give because of that upbringing, that scarcity, that poverty, I understand that. That's what I want you to hear. I get that. So this is not about condemnation. I was there even as an ordained pastor, okay? This is not about guilt today. This is about me trying to bring you into the blessing that I was brought into by understanding this. Because if you don't give out of the little, you will never give out of the much. If you have 10 pounds and you don't give, or 100 pounds and you don't give, there is no way if you have 10,000 pounds that you will give. Because generosity is not about how much you have. It is an attitude of the heart whereby you express your gratitude to God, understanding that everything you have comes from him, and therefore an expression of His of, of worship and, and an appreciation of his grace and mercy, you 
live with open hands and an open heart. That you say, God, everything comes from you and I want to surrender it to you. It's not the amount you give. Remember the widow that Jesus saw giving the little offering into the temple? He was so impressed. It's not the amount, it's the heart and the attitude behind it. Let me check the time here. Yeah, okay, we will jump down to the next bit in 2 Corinthians 9. But I just want to say this, that it is a privilege to give. Paul actually says that. It is a privilege to give. It's not that I have to give, it's that I get to give. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 9, and we're going to look at three verses and then we'll be done. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Let's break this down. Paul here talks about sowing and reaping. That is something that we see all throughout scripture. It is a physical law in the world and it is a spiritual law that God put in place. That what you reap, you sow. What you reap comes from what you have sown. We have, over the last few weeks, been binge watching. Anybody? Clarkson's Farm? Yes? Isn't it brilliant? Isn't it class? Some of you are like, it's Jeremy Clarkson, Top Gear Jeremy Clarkson. And it's on Amazon. Find some way. If you don't have Amazon Prime, find some way to download it illegally, okay? Because it is worth... Sorry, get your friend's password for Amazon Prime and watch it, okay? Stroke that off the the podcast later. Um, No, it is so funny because it's Jeremy Clarkson. I think he's got a thousand acre farm and he has no idea what to do. In the last episode, he harvests uh, all his crops that he's been laboring over and he discovers that if you break it down he's earned 39 pence a day for the last year and, uh, and, and just he just sees this pitiful harvest but the bible again and again talks about sowing and reaping it talks about a harvest now imagine you're a farmer some of you might be and imagine you're going out to sow seed in your sowing season and you have a little bag of seeds and you go one seed two seeds because these seeds are valuable you want to be careful with them, three seeds. You don't want to waste them. You don't want to risk putting them into a bit of soil that it might. Six seeds, seven seeds. You do this for an hour and you get to about 100, 150 seeds. When it comes harvest time, do you look out and expect to see a field full of barley? No, why? Because Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. It's impossible for you to plant a little and reap a lot. But imagine you generously start throwing out seed, throwing out seed onto fertile soil, throwing out seed. When it comes harvest time, if you only had a little bit, you would think there was something wrong. Why? Because whoever sows generously will reap generously. And Paul here is talking about money. And some of us get uncomfortable with this because we want to make sure that we have understand this, that we do not get to give. This is not like a Ponzi scheme or something like, you know, you don't give to get back from God. This is not prosperity theology, where if you give, you know, $67, you know, I'll get a private jet and you will get $6,700 of blessing. That is not what this is about. That is not the gospel. 
But as I read the Old and New Testament, it is impossible to get away from the truth that God blesses the generous. And he blesses them in different ways. Some of those ways are material. Some of them are spiritual. And some of them are relational. God will bless the generous. There are thousands of promises in the Bible. But most promises have a premise behind them. If you, I will. And the, the, the... Promises that feature most in scripture are about finances or about money, where God says, if you will be generous, if you will give, I will bless you. I will enlarge your territory. I will enlarge your storehouse. I will, and God constantly says this. And so while we do not get to give, we give with an expectation of receiving blessing in many different areas of our lives. Some of that will be financial, some of it will be in other areas. Some of it will be immediate, some of it will be further down the line. But when you give, God blesses the generous. It is the whole way through scripture that what you sow, you will reap. Look at what he says. He actually reiterates this in verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly So that in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Our God is not stingy. Our God is not tight. Our God is not mean. He says, and he will bless you abundantly. He is an abundant God. He lavishes blessing on his kids. So that at all times, not just sometimes, at all times, you will have all that you need and abound in every good work. He loves to bless his children. Just as I love to bless my son. It's our Elijah's birthday this week. He's turning nine on Thursday. And uh, Becky and I didn't set having a conversation the last week going, I wonder how little we can give and get away with it. You know, I wonder, like, what's the smallest present we could give him? It's the opposite. It's, oh, goodness, we're going overboard here. We need to pull this back a bit. Why? Because I want to see his face light up. I want to bless my son. I want him to enjoy appreciating the gifts I give him. Why would we not expect our heavenly father? Luke says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the father give good gifts to you? Our God is a God who loves to lavish blessing in many ways on his children. The Christian life is not about how little you can give and get away with it. It's about surrendering everything to God. And if you have that mentality of how little can I give, you will find that will go into other areas of your life. How little can I be faithful in my marriage? How how little purity can I have? How little can I work and get away with it? The Christian life is not about how little can I do to get into heaven. It is about saying, God, all of it belongs to you. All of it belongs to you. 2 Corinthians Chronicles 29. I just want to read a few verses here. This is David. They've taken an offering. And he says this, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously? They've brought in this huge offering. Everything comes from you. He's talking to God. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Normally about a week or two before Christmas or my birthday, Elijah will come and ask for money. And I'll say how much he'll say, kind of 15 pounds, and I'll go, you can get 10. And uh, on my birthday, he will come and proudly hand me a gift. 
And I will go, thank you so much, knowing that I paid for that gift. And if I had the 10 pounds, I would have bought something I liked better with it. Let's just be honest. But I love that it was in his heart to take what I had given him as his father and give it back to me. That is what this is about. It all comes from him. It all belongs to him. It's not that I get to give him 10%. It's that he allows me to keep 90%. It's all his anyway. Everything comes from him. Look at the next thing Paul says here, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And we're finishing up here. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You should not give reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, this is not mandatory. We do not have a giving passport here. Like a vaccine passport. I'm not going to say anything more. But I'm just saying... We will not be checking it next week and going, you can only get in here if you have a giving passport. And what did you get? That is not how this works. If you don't want to give, please don't give. If you give feeling that the church owes you something or God owes you something or you are reluctant and you don't want to do it, please don't do it. Deal with the other stuff going on first. That is not what this is about. This is about seeing yourself as entrusted, not entitled. God has entrusted you, not entitled you. And it says this, give what you have decided in your heart to give. In other words, this is not just an emotion. Giving is not just an emotion. Give what you have decided to give. In other words, he's saying, think it through. Pray about it. Plan it. You know, if, so, if you were to come in here next week and just go, well, I'll give what's ever in my pocket. We'll get an old piece of tune coming three bits of fluff from some of you because that's all. That, you know, it's, it's talk about it with your spouse this week. Go onto our website and see how you can give online. It's plan it. It's prepare it. It's, you know what above all else it is? It's saying, God, how much do you want me to give? How much do you want me to give? And being obedient. That's all it is. That is all this is. Give what you have decided in your heart to give. And look at the last thing Paul says. God loves a cheerful giver. When you give freely and generously, it lights up God's heart. God looks down and he goes, oh, I love that. I love that generosity. Why? Because there is nothing that expresses the heart and the nature and the character of God more than giving. Most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't give reluctantly, He didn't give because he had to. He chose to give his best. And you represent God and look more like God when you give and serve and sacrifice than you do when you're doing anything else. Generosity expresses the heart and the nature and the character of God. Because you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Because love is expressed through actions. And I've been a Christian for 31 years. And can I say to you that as I look at people who are a little bit older, people who have been following Christ for much longer than I have, 
the people who are most joyful and who live with most fulfillment and happiness and satisfaction and passion are those who give generously, without exception. And the people who are the most miserable are those who are the most stingy, without exception. That is a law, that's just, I have seen it every, I'm actually picturing certain Christians in my mind right now. That they are so full of joy and life and I know they've just poured out their life for Jesus. And I can think of miserable Christians who they hold on to their money so much that they make the queen cry. They hold her so tight. (laughs) This is not just about money, nor will it ever be. It is about God wanting your heart. And some of you are in a position right now where you can't give much and that is okay. Please do not do something silly, okay? But some of us are in a position where we can give a little bit more. And I want you simply this week to say, God, what do you want me to give? And whatever he tells you, obey. I won't know. Only a few people, the accountant and a few other people will know. I'll have no idea. This is not about impressing me. or sh- this, this, is, this is honestly, this is between you and the Lord. So you give what the Lord tells you to give. And the question that I ask myself is this. Can God trust me with money? As God looks at my life, as God looks at what he has given me and how I've used it, does God look at me and go, I can trust Craig Cooney with money? And I want to ask, can he trust you with money? Because here's what the Bible says. Those who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. But those who are unfaithful with little will be unfaithful with much. In other words, God looks at you and he says, I've given you this much already and you have blessed others and you've been generous. So you know what? I'm just going to keep it flowing. Into you, through you, to bless other people. Or he might look at you and go, I've given you this much so far and you've done nothing with it except keep it for yourself. So stop, stop the resource, stop the flow. And I want to be someone who God looks at and goes, I trust him. I trust him with money. I trust him with my people. I trust him with his wife. I trust him with his family. I want to be someone who God trusts by how I live my life. I did a funeral this week, and this wasn't in my notes. One of our members here, Velma Beattie, sadly her her mother passed this week and went to be with the Lord. And, and uh, she, her mother knew the Lord. She was 95 years old. And I stood in the little house with the coffin open on Wednesday and I looked in there at this beautiful little 95-year-old woman. And there wasn't gold in there and there was no Rolex and there were no bank statements. But there was a woman who followed Jesus her whole life. And as we talked about her throughout the day, we didn't talk about how much she'd earned her. What great job she'd done throughout the years. We talked about how she'd served Jesus. How she'd knitted little outfits for stillborn and, pre, and, 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 and premature babies. How she'd made clothes for people overseas. How she'd spent her whole life working hard, not for herself, but to provide for other people. And it just got me thinking again, you know what? That's the stuff that matters. Jesus says a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. And there's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. Let me say that up front, okay? I like nice stuff. Never feel guilty for having nice stuff. 
That is not the issue. The issue is, does the nice stuff have you? It is not about what you have, it is about what has you. And so as I pray now, I simply want to ask the Lord for some of you to release you into this blessing of generosity. And for some of you, you're already there. And I simply want to ask the Lord to increase what he flows through you in your life. Let's pray together. So the worship team come up. Lord, I thank you that I lead a generous church. I thank you for the privilege I have of leading a people who give regularly and sacrificially and wholeheartedly. And for those of us who struggle with that, like I did, I pray, Lord, that you would release them into the blessing of giving this week. That they would understand something of the joy that you don't want to take from them, you want to give to them. And Lord, that you would help them to release that grip and to live with open hands and open hearts. And for those who do give generously, thank you. Lord, would you continue to pour into them? Would you continue to resource them? Would you prosper them and bless them in every way so that they would continue to be a channel and a conduit of your blessing that we might reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ here and beyond? But we thank you that ultimately we give because you first gave, that you gave your son, you gave your best, you gave your all. When Jesus died on the cross, he died with open arms. Let us live with open arms towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.